It's just trying to show you like the chaotic nature of what it is like to be alive. Like I don't understand why any of this is happening at all. Print friends, and welcome to the 21st episode of Pine Copper Lime, the internet's number one printmaking podcast. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. I release an episode of the podcast every two weeks, and on the off weeks, I publish an article on the Pine Copper Lime website, which features images and maybe a bit more information about that artist I'm going to interview. For this episode of PCL, I am excited to announce that I am partnering with the fabulous Mesh Art Gallery of Chicago. Having worked in the art world myself for the past 10 years, I have seen the good, the bad, and the very, very ugly, and I am here to tell you that Mesh is one of the good ones. Founders Bernard and Jessica are truly dedicated to creating a space where artists can be supported and collectors can be educated. Mesh represents talented printmakers from around the world, and we are very lucky to have them in our printmaking fam. In addition to being an excellent resource to discover new contemporary printmakers to purchase and admire, Mesh also publishes articles about all aspects of the printmaking world, from exhibition reviews to a list of print shops throughout the U.S. by state. To celebrate this partnership, we are joining forces for a giveaway of a lovely lino cut by the Ukrainian artist Olesia Jorayeva. It's happening now, where all great giveaways happen, on the Pine Copper Lime Instagram. I'll put a link to the giveaway in the show notes, as well as to the Mesh website. I'm telling you, do yourself a favor, take a look at what they got going on. It is an example of printmaking advocacy done right. My guest this week is Elizabeth Jean Yance, lithographer, small business owner, and dog mom. Elizabeth Jean grew up in the wilds of New England, and the natural world, as well as the folklore we create from it, is still at the heart of her practice. Her images are filled with the honesty and brutality of animals, and she uses them to explore feelings of becoming overwhelmed by the chaos in which we live. In this episode, we get into her inheriting a printmaking studio in Los Angeles from a Parisian lithographer, her time spent printing at Tandem Press and Gemini, being your own print boss lady, and that eternal question, what's a nice girl like you doing making a print like this? So sit back, relax, and prepare to enter the world of Elizabeth Jean Yance. Hey, Elizabeth Jean, how's it going? Hi, how are you? Good, good. How are things in sunny LA? Oh, gosh, it's so beautiful. And everything is blooming right now, getting ready for summer. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I, um, you know, being in the southern hemisphere, everything is kind of closing up shop for winter. And I say I... I feel a little bit like Persephone or something where I'm like, everyone else is like, sun's out, like everything's in bloom. And I'm like, everything's dying. I mean, going to sleep. (laughs) But I'm glad. I'm glad. Southern California has some pretty magical weather for sure. It's worth the hype. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, it's it's not somewhere I would have ever thought I would have ended up living. And I'm really, really loving it. It's it's way more beautiful and way more like uh there's so much more nature here than I would have ever expected in a huge city like Los Angeles yeah yeah which I'm sure we'll get into but I I feel like uh 
nature is a big a big part of you and it is is part of your medicine so <laughs> i'm glad that you were Definitely. able to find some so for those of you who who may be listening and and don't know Elizabeth Jean, would you mind giving yourself just a little introduction that is the who you are, uh, where you are, what you do kind of overview? Absolutely. I'm Elizabeth Jean. I was born in Newport, Rhode Island. I attended the Savannah College of Art and Design for my BFA, SCAD, in Savannah, Georgia. Initially, upon going there, I thought I was going to do more graphic design and maybe minor in illustration. And I feel like it's that classic printmaker story where you take mm. one class in printmaking <laughs> and then you fall in love and you get completely yeah. dedicated and you get a Brayer tattoo on your arm. And then <laughs> you end up going straight from the Savannah College of Art and Design to grad school for printmaking. I got my MFA at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where I worked at Tandem Press all three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then recently in August of 2018, moved with my husband to Los Angeles, where actually he's getting his MFA now currently here, and I'm working. Excellent. That's great. So where did you grow up? Were you originally from the East Coast before you went to school there? Yes. So I'm originally from Rhode Island. I'm from Newport, Rhode Island. And the kind of ironic thing now about living in Los Angeles, this has been like my fun fact of Rhode Island and Los Angeles lately, is that the state of Rhode Island is smaller than the city of Los Angeles. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so you can drive across the state of Rhode Island in about an hour and you, yeah. you can't even you can't even get across LA in an, in an hour. But definitely, I'm definitely a true Northeasterner and kind of my ideal state would be like running around frolicking in the woods with a dog off leash in New England, surrounded by big trees. Maybe that lead out to a rocky cliff ocean area. That's definitely my jam. I actually um, never left New England before I went to school in Georgia, going to SCAD, going to college there actually was the first time I had ever been on a plane. <laughs> Stop. Yeah. That's intense. And, <laughs> and now I've like moved around all over the country and like slowly crept myself westward. Something that that, that reminds me of is that so I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, you know, Seattle, Portland right. area. And you know, what we're known for, of course, out the, that way is our outdoorsy life and the mountains and the volcanoes and the ocean and, you know, all of this sort of thing. And so I kind of grew up sort of with this idea that New England must just be a massive city, you know, just must be oh sprawling. <laughs> and it really wasn't until I went and visited in person, I actually visited a good friend who was living in Rhode Island at the time. And it was just country roads and little trucks and going to <laughs> farmer's markets to grab a lobster from someone who just pulled it out of the ocean. And um, and it, it had this really sort of beautiful charm to it uh, that I, I completely didn't expect. So I can I can definitely see what you mean about how like it's it's woodsy out there. And I, I had no idea. I had no idea. Definitely. And I think that that's kind of, I mean, less so of like the coastal aspect of it, especially being from Newport, Rhode Island. Like I grew up on an island, like on the island of Rhode (laughs) Island. So literally surrounded by water. I mean, there's bridges to get back onto the mainland. It's not like completely secluded out there or anything, but 
but you know, it's like a big deal for my mom to cross the bridge. We call it like Rhode Island syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) She's like stuck there. There's no reason to leave, you know? Yeah. Um, So definitely like the woodsy aspect of New England and like, it's like, I don't want to say colonial is like controversial, but like the colonial, like the quaint like houses Uh and like that type of style has definitely always um, inspired me. And like there's all across New England, there's these low rolling stone walls that Mm. divided up all of the land and definitely definitely that landscape still inspires all of my work for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that you can see, you know, your, your personal work, Mm -hmm. it's, it's very much the natural world is, is, is I think always present in it, but it's such a very realistic portrayal of it. And I mean that in the sense of like, well, well, first of all, like you can just you can draw like you're you're a wonderful draftswoman um so it's realistic in that sense but it also is there's a brutality to it and um an honesty to what nature sort of actually is that i feel like maybe could really only come from someone who grew up in it you know so it's not just these um pastoral landscapes of the pristine you've got birth and death and blood and guts and genitals and like that's what nature (laughs) is you know I mean it's it is also that beautiful side but but in 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 actuality it's it's brutal and beautiful at the same time I think yes definitely I'm glad that you could see all that because that's definitely those are all of the things that I'm feeling when I'm making the work and even beyond just thinking about like literally the natural world. I'm also thinking about like my own experiences as a human. And I'm always um, using these animals as like vessels Mm. for um, the human experience. Right. And so, so by doing that, I'm thinking about the human condition and I'm thinking about when I was younger and I, I feel like, you know, I've always struggled with depression Mm -hmm. and I've struggled with like all of the chaos of the world and how it can feel like everything is just burning down and it's so hard, you know, money is like all consuming and, and love and all these things like can, it can just make you feel so shattered all at once. Right. And Mm -hmm. there's just so many things that you have to think about on a daily basis and so much, um, that can, can fully consume you. And so I am definitely trying to portray all of that in the work and kind of personify these animals um, as that. Yeah, I think one of the specific words that you use in your artist statement is overwhelmed, Mm -hmm. which I think seems really accurate for what you're describing, but then also for your images that have this, a lot of them have this sense of sort of chaos to them, or you'll see figures being restrained in some way, you know, while they're going through something. And right. um, and I think that seems to really reflect what you were just saying about how how you respond to the world is because it does feel that way um, when we're kind of overwhelmed and bombarded with, with information and all of these horrible things that are outside of our control that can feel so, so chaotic. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. And then obviously, obviously the work is very feminist, but Mm -hmm. I also think that not only from just that perspective, but I think just from being a woman, um, and for example, I, I use a lot of rabbits in my work to, 
to embody this like you know rabbits can be seen as these like small fragile frail uh-huh. creatures that are just they're just beautiful and delicate to look at right <laughs> but for example for my my bfa thesis exhibition i did this um this fully immersive installation where i had this this tunnel of lithographic beetles that were all printed and cut out um and some of them were beeswaxed and some of them had like gloss medium or matte medium on them and they were all pinned in this tunnel that got like smaller so you had to crouch Mm. through the tunnel and the beetles are just like grazing your head Mm. because they're kind of like Mm -hmm. hanging down and then you get into this space where there's these rabbits that go from these tiny little baby blob rabbits that don't even have their eyes open yet to these large like standing ones. Mm. And again, they're all lithographically printed and they were mounted on laser cut um, plywood. And as they're growing, they're also simultaneously evolving. um, And they're kind of growing these armadillo backings because again, they they don't want to be these, these frail creatures. They don't want to be so fragile. They want to like fight back and they want to be strong and they want to create this little army. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that that's, that's again, I guess a big thing about being a, a female artist and again, you and I had this sort of conversation just briefly between the two of us the other day, but this sort of thing of like, I walked into a studio the other day and I was meeting some people there and there was some, there was a really nice gentleman. And then there was a gentleman who the first thing he said when he walked in was you look 19. Oh. And I just feel like, uh. okay, so, okay. The, number one, this is a really bad start. And number two, you're just going to write me off and not trust me now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, not yeah, and just yeah, not even to mention like the assumption and the the gall that goes into thinking that you can comment on somebody's appearance first thing, and particularly <laughs> sure. like a woman's appearance first thing, or or any like feminine person's appearance first thing. Like it's just it's so it just drives me crazy because you know it's it's affirming my worst fears or my worst um, instinct about other people is that, oh, Mm. you are just going to completely judge me on how I present and, and, you know, come with a huge, huge baggage of assumptions about it. And right. Yeah. And, and just to get that like affirmed right before like an initial meeting is so frustrating. And especially in such a professional setting like that, where it's like, hi, we are here to talk about printmaking in a printmaking studio. Like, we're not here to talk about my weight or size or age or like, like the fact that I am a woman. Like, these are things out of my control. Yes. And (laughs) and just really, um, particularly if you're talking about printmaking, just kind of in general, just not just not relevant you know I mean, it just it doesn't right. it shouldn't matter who is talking to you about the technical aspects of printmaking right and I think that's one of the reasons why I I guess I'm drawn towards like installation and this like fully immersive work or like for example with my with my MFA thesis piece that three foot by 11 foot five color lithograph where it's just like it's this like panoramic fully mm-hmm. immersive environment and so I think it's just me kind of trying to fight back a little bit and give you a little fuck you where I'm like, (laughs) 
I yeah, I'm tiny. I'm five foot three. I have no boobs. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a petite woman, but like. I'm going to show you this thing that like I can get shit done. Like I yeah. can do this. And not only, you know, can I put in like the research, but I can put in like the physical labor and the time. And yeah. And I, I framed all of the work for my MFA thesis as well. And just et cetera, et cetera, where it's like, I am going to do this and, and all of it yeah, and deliver. Yeah. I think that there's, um, and maybe it's already been written, but I would love to write or read of something that's well-researched about sort of the psychological effects of scale and art and gender assumption. Mm. Because, you know, if you remember when I I chatted with Jenny Robinson a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that we talked about is that people think that her prints are done by a man. Um, Oh, my God. Very often. Because, and she says it's probably because some of them are five, six feet in length. They're of structures. They're of buildings. You know, they... Right. And so she'll have this experience where she'll be in her studio with her name on the door, Jenny Robinson. And during an open (laughs) studio, someone will come in and they'll see her standing by the press and they'll go, where's the artist? (laughs) She's just the assistant printer. Yeah, she just must be the the artist's wife who's, you know, like keeping the shop while while he goes and gets a whiskey. I don't know what people are assuming, but... (laughs) Um, and, and you know yeah. what? I, I can be a little defensive. And so for me, initially, I'm like, no, she's got to be like, no, I am the printer. But at the same time, it's like kind of our own little secretive haha at mm-hmm. them because it's like, wow, they wouldn't even have ever thought that we we are capable of this. Right. But yeah, Jenny can just stand there by the press and be like, yep, no, this this is all my work. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And so, you know, with your work, we kind of touched on a little bit, but again, you know, it has, it has like elements of, of deconstructed bodies and nudity Mm. and labia and birth and death and all these sorts of things. And again, we talked about this a little bit before, but I wonder if maybe you'd want to speak to that, uh, that phenomenon of the what's a nice girl like you making work like this. Oh, sure. Sure. And for me, it's so funny. Like, I, I've definitely gotten that a few times, even from people who who I really respect. And I know that I know that they are just joking, but it just hits you in a, in a strange way. Yeah. But I don't know. I guess for me, I, I don't I know that it's it's a bit vulgar and, and a bit grotesque, but I I guess I'm not seeing it or reading it or thinking about it in that same way Uh where I'm not, I think a lot of people, and this is going to sound very like I'm putting people in a box, which I don't like to do, but specifically it's usually like cis men Mm -hmm. who, who read the work in a very literal way where they think that I'm talking specifically about birth or like the experience of being a woman. Like they think it's only about your uterus and it's really not about that almost at all. It's more of a metaphorical statement about life itself. Mm -hmm. And that's why, again, like you're saying, there's like life and birth and death and like everything is happening simultaneously because it's just trying to show you like the chaotic nature (laughs) of what it is like to be alive. Like I don't understand why any of this is happening at all (laughs) ever, (laughs) you know? And 
And that's why, for example, you know, in the three foot by 11 foot piece from my bestiary MFA thesis exhibition, for example, in the five panels, I, I spent a lot of time researching um, Bosch's Garden of Earthly Delights. Yeah, like literally, yeah. I, obviously, you can see it in the, yeah. in the piece itself, but literally like character by character. I found this amazing resource online that's like this this long like slideshow basically that literally breaks it down character by character. Mm. And one of the things that really I got fixated on was this idea of dualities. And obviously the work, the work is about symbolism. And the reason that I created the Cygnus sapiens, the pregnant bird lady at yeah. all was because I wanted I to ask about her specifically. Yeah. But go on. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the Cygnus sapiens, I kind of initially started thinking about her um, as a way to create my own mythology and folklore, where I feel like for a while, I kind of need to make myself like really restrictive rules and regulations to work within. Otherwise, I feel, again, like this idea of life where it's just like anything can happen and like I can mm. create anything. And it's really difficult for me to. And this is, again, why I have like my fine art practice and mustard beetle, because it's it's a little difficult for me to like nail down and pinpoint like one style that I want to work in because that feels like so limiting in a way, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But I it's something like you're expected to, to do as an artist sure, exactly. yeah and kind of unfortunately but yeah it's like people want to know like what's the elizabeth jean aesthetic so i can you know categorize it and yeah totally exactly and if they want to you know support your work yeah they want to know what's going to come out next so that mm -hmm. then they can they can buy or a gallery is not going to want to work with you if they have no idea what's going to come out and so anyway in in researching like mythology and folklore i'm I'm really drawn to these stories. And for me, it's like a really good jumping off point to be able to then create my own work. But at the same time, one of the things that I found, especially in grad school, is that instead of just like making work, depicting these stories, in a sense, just like illustrating them, I started finding it a lot more interesting to utilize the stories as like a framework to then create my own stories. Uh-huh. Um, and so then again, yeah, the Cygnus Sapiens was a way where I actually thought I was going to create all these different characters in this whole massive world where each character would have their own story. But essentially, I just got really fixated on this one character mm -hmm. because to me, she just embodies everything. And so I started making these iterations of prints of her, like depicting different scenarios. And then that's why for my MFA thesis, then I created this whole landscape in which she lived and all these different things are happening simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So the, and you're saying it's the Cygnus sapien, is that what she's called? Yeah. So the Cygnus sapiens is, means it translates to the wise swan. So mm. that's her scientific name. And I, I hadn't named her. So I, I focused on work regarding the Cygnus sapiens actually for the last I guess now four years but all throughout graduate school so graduate school like the funny thing about it is that even if you know or think you know exactly what you want to do when you're leaving uh, undergrad and for me you know again I went straight from undergrad to graduate school and mm -hmm. so 
I had this like momentum going in undergrad where I was like, I just want to keep doing this. Right. And again, I said, I had done that like paper installation where there was like the laser cut mounted prints and like the tunnel with the beetles and everything. And so that happened right as I was leaving undergrad and going to graduate school. And so I thought that I was going to do a lot of like paper sculpture, paper installation and things like that. Um, but again, I ended up just like kind of, I guess, discovering this character and then just really running with it and mm. trying to like push the idea as far as I possibly could. And I think another, another thing that really influenced this character was the idea that right when we moved to Madison, Wisconsin for my MFA, MFA thesis, I guess it was that November, we noticed um, our three-year-old German Shepherd was starting to develop a lump on his side. Mm -hmm. And right when we saw it, like it was this tiny little thing, right when we saw it, we brought him to the vet immediately because we're we're crazy, anal, like overbearing dog parents. <laughs> and the cops are dog parents. <laughs> yeah, precisely. And you know, the vets performed three biopsies on it. Everything came back that it was just fatty tissue. A lot of uh, people who do know me know that um, we we ended up raising about $2,000 through a Kickstarter mm -hmm. um, to get the tumor removed because although they said it was just fatty tissue, it did keep growing. And yeah. so we thought it would be safe to remove just in case. And then once we had the money from the Kickstarter, or I guess it was a GoFundMe, we, we went to do a CT scan in preparation to do the surgery to remove this tumor. And once they got imaging of it, they realized that it was way bigger on the inside than oh, it had looked on the outside honey. and that it had already spread to his lungs. Oh. And they literally, they literally told us that he probably had up to two months to live at that oh, point. How devastating. It was, I know, and this dog was the first dog that, like, I raised myself. Like, yeah. I got him as a sophomore in undergrad, and I got him before Jonah and I started dating. Mm -hmm. And so he really was, like, my baby that I raised as a puppy, and, like, he didn't know how to do anything when I first got him. And I, I miss him so, so much. But all this was happening kind of as in this transition of going to grad school, right? And so grad school is already this weird, weird place where, again, I mentioned, you know, even if you think you know what you want to do when you get to graduate school, and this this is, you know, whether you're going from undergrad straight or you're taking time off, you get there and it's kind of this idea of like, do I need to reinvent the wheel completely? Mm -hmm. You know, is the work that I was making prior to grad school still valid? Can I just keep working on this series? Or like now I'm in this new place and I'm surrounded by these new people who are seeing my work for the first time and I'm in this new environment and different things are influencing me. And so it feels weird to you know, you want to progress, obviously, naturally, yeah. because now you're you're jumping into this whole new thing. And so you want to start making new work, but it's difficult to do it. And so I think I was thinking a lot about motherhood and my my fears just of life and death itself and yeah. how I just feel like I'd be one of those people who gets pregnant and like dies in childbirth or something, even mm -hmm. if, even though it's the 21st century, like crazy, hey, crazy. Thing. I'm just a hypochondriac, but well, <laughs> an, an America does have the highest mother mortality rate than any developed nation. So, isn't isn't it amazing? Yeah, yeah. Isn't it amazing? Like we, yeah, I mean, and I'm not going to go down this huge rabbit hole, but just <laughs> the idea that there, yeah, people just, 
do not care about reproductive rights in this country. And it's and it makes no sense because then they're not going to help out on the opposite end of it. They don't care once these children are born. They're just going to they're going to suffer in these lives because then there is no infrastructure. So it's it's just cons on cons on cons. It just Mm -hmm. nothing makes any sense. (laughs) Um, But but yeah, that's I think I think that's where the idea of the Cygnus sapiens started to come from. What started to spark from was this idea of motherhood. But even though it sparked from that, it grew into this whole other thing where to me, she really embodies like she's this quote unquote fragile, feathered, female, fertile being. (sighs) And despite everything that's working against her, she's persevering. And not only is she persevering, but she's like thriving. Mm -hmm. And so these are, these are reasons why Again, I always refer back to like the three foot by 11 foot panoramic pentaptic print that I did for my MFA thesis, but that's why, and I'm also, I'm looking at that piece right now while I'm talking about it to reference it, but um, the scale in that piece, like the fox and the boar and these other like beastly creatures that are walking around her are so much larger than her. And so it's again, this idea where you wouldn't think that she would be able to survive or thrive in that type of environment but she's she's basically a badass lady so she can do whatever (laughs) the hell she wants so so the center of that piece you know Mm -hmm. has a as a fountain in it or sort of like a little pond like the center panel is that correct Mm -hmm. yeah which is is that there's something like that in the garden of earthly delights is that correct Absolutely. Yeah. So there's a procession going around in a circle. So I definitely right. wanted to mirror something circular and cyclical. And and what is in the in the center of the fountain in your piece? Because there because so, all of the all of your your bird women are are kind of turned and facing it and you know, in kind of a, a worshipful position it looks like almost. Mm-mm. Absolutely. So right in the center, it's like earth water, fire. And so there's this small ball of fire sitting right on top of this tiny pond Mm. that all these cockroaches are standing around holding hands at. And it's like a birthing ceremony or birthing ritual. And so all the Cygnus sapiens, different, different colors. It's an inclusive Cygnus sapiens group. They're lying there all with their feet up and they're (laughs) all giving birth together. Yeah. So something that I always um, love to talk about with, with this piece in particular and this exhibition with my MFA thesis that sometimes people don't necessarily see um, is the idea that this three foot by 11 uh, foot piece, this panel, like panoramic piece, it's full color, it's all encompassing, it's larger than life, right? And so it sucks you in. But what was also included in this exhibition was 18 other small black and white lithographs. And so what these do is they allow you to kind of like get overwhelmed in the chaos and the Cygnus sapiens whole life and whole world and all of these different symbols and the, all these things that are happening at all at once. And then you can, you can take a moment, take a step back 
and you can really kind of like dig into these symbols as these individuals, right? And so that's mm-hmm. why that's why they're all just black and white. They're framed um, all in antique sound frames that I collected over time. Um, I did all the framing myself. I I got myself a um, a regular square and rectangular mat cutter, but I also mm. got myself a circular mat cutter. Yeah. And so they they allow you to to breathe and kind of dissect and deconstruct each individual symbol. So for example, we can talk about like, I just had a client order one of these prints today. So it's right on the top of my head, but the exhilaration is the breeze print. It's a 12 by 12 lithograph and it's the, um, the honey hive with Mm -hmm. the death's head hawk moss flying around it. Yeah. And so you can see the honey hive in the first panel and in the fourth panel where there's a death ha- head hawk moth right next to it. And so one of the interesting things that I that I didn't know, actually, I've been I consider myself an amateur entomologist. So uh-huh. I've been collecting and pinning and stretching moths um, since, I guess, sophomore year of undergrad. I was actually working with an entomologist, um, someone who had studied the entomology, and he trained me to learn to pin moths. And so I have like a vast collection of moths um, and cicadas and beetles and all these other things in, in my house. But um, one thing I didn't know about death's head hawk moths is that they they are right they're black and yellow they look like a big bee and so actually at night they sneak into the honey hive and they will steal the honey mm-hmm. and um because moths are like so fluffy and their scales and their their fur will kind of absorb the scent of the honey hive and so that's why the v- the bees don't even realize that there's an intruder and so even in like the first panel of this panoramic piece because obviously just like the garden of earthly delights it goes from like a light kind of heavenly scape on the left to like a darker deeper more hellish scape on the right and so even in this lighter more heavenly, quote unquote, um, scape, there's still a little bit of thievery and darkness Mm -hmm. hidden within. And so again, that's why we see that in the first panel. And then you see um, the exhilaration is the breeze, like its own black and white piece highlighted by itself. Speaking of entomology, you, um, as well as a practicing artist with your own, you know, dynamic craft, um, you also are a small business owner and you've got kind of another side to, to what you do, which is mustard beetle. Uh, would you Absolutely. talk about that? Yeah. Cause you've yeah. recently just transitioned to being a, a full-time boss lady. <laughs> <laughs> what a perfect segue. Yeah. So, so again, because, you know, I work part-time now as a lab technician at a university here in Los Angeles. Um, but the amazing thing about that is that Yeah, it's part-time, but it's also only during the school year. And so now, as of the summer, I am completely self-employed. And this has been something I've been working towards. Mustard Beetle was actually started in 2015 um, as I graduated SCAD. That summer, in between um, SCAD and UW, I actually did my first two craft fairs. And my husband ended up <laughs> with me. I, I feel bad now because I, I was home for the summer in Rhode Island at my parents' house. And my, my mom loves sewing. And I turned her 
her living room into a little printmaking studio and I was printing these relief prints and these screen prints and my mom was helping me like sew these little banners and my Mm. husband was helping me and we were just like all kind of getting stuff prepared and so that summer though really like kicked like jump-started everything because we we made stock that now we even still have four years later and like so many craft fairs later we we just because you know when you start something like that it's hard to really make that leap if you don't have time to like focus on actually getting enough stock to go to a fair (laughs) yes and I guess that's that's the great thing about printmaking too, is that you're, you know, you're doing things at, that are additioned. And so for example, all of the, all of the prints for mustard beetle are specifically additioned at a hundred so that I can bring them to a couple different fairs and not feel like I'm like constantly selling out or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so yeah, it's a very different um, business model than something like my, my fine art, like 10 color lithos that are, that are yeah. additions <laughs> of 20. If you're lucky, you know, it's like, that's a big addition for that much for me. Um, yeah. And so mustard beetle primarily now everything is kind of happening at the same time. Um, life has completely changed in the last like two months since I left my full-time job and am now really, really focusing on this. So I'm marketing mustard beetle handmade as mustard beetle handmade textile pressing goods. And so in the press aspect of it specifically, we obviously design and print our own work. And so typically that's like screen print, letterpress, relief, and clay. But through that, because I have equipment, I'm also offering printing services for other people mm-hmm. through the press. Yeah. And so um, obviously I'm offering clay printing services that's that, that I've been really trying to market, especially lately. But now that my, my bandanas, like for the textiles, for example, have been selling really, really well, everyone's been contacting me to print their bandanas now. Oh, and yeah. so that's been like a whole thing <laughs> all of a sudden, cause I work in a home studio. Um, we, we are very fortunate to have found this like rent controlled little bungalow in Los Angeles. Yeah. And it's, it's about 600 square feet. It's technically a one bedroom. It's like a little house though. And so we have a kitchen, a bedroom, and then this very small room that we made the living room. Cause the couch coffee table and TV fit perfectly in it. And then there's a 200 square foot room. So literally it's a third of the apartment and that's my home studio in it. We have the 24 inch wide format printer we have an etching press and we have a CMP uh, pilot tabletop letter press as well. And then I do all the screen printing like right on the table. Um, and so things have been turned upside down kind of lately. There's yeah. like t-shirts over here that need to be printed. There's more bandanas that need to be printed and go out. I just, before this conversation, I ran to the post office and finally got a lot of stuff out the door, which is really exciting. But yeah, meeting meeting new people and new clients and getting like connected with people here in Los Angeles because they know that I can print for them, which is really exciting. So I think it's been a good gateway to kind of just like burst kind of in the art world, I guess here. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's, it's interesting. I feel like that distinction between sort of fine art practice and because it's, you, you know, you wouldn't say that mustard beetle isn't art like in any way, No, but it's, I think it's a really, really 
business savvy of you to kind of understand that you have two sides of your practice and there's sort of two markets for it. That person who wants to buy that 10 color lithograph is probably going to be a different person who wants to buy um, a bandana. You know, it's just like, and and that's not to say that like one is a a higher up on the hierarchy than the other. It's just a different audience, different price point, different collector. Um, And to separate them, I think, is a really good solution to, I think, one of the issues that artists sometimes have where they do feel like they get boxed in. And for me too, I mean, it's really, really liberating because with my fine art, because it really is all about like existentialism and like this metaphorical like weight of like fertility and perseverance and everything and chaos. It's like, that really is like the blood, sweat and tears. Like I really put everything into that work. And so it's, it's draining to make conceptually, but it's also draining to make obviously technically. Yes. Yeah. Lithographs are not, and this is why most people don't do lithography once they leave school because obviously (laughs) number one lack of facilities but you know it's very strenuous but that's why I love it because once I finish one and I'm happy with it I really feel like I've I've fought a battle and beaten this battle right yeah but that's why having both is really good for me because I can't always be doing that or I'd be exhausted and drained and I'd also be making no money because although the prices the prints are priced at a higher price point they're obviously selling more slowly than something like greeting cards that are five dollars or mm-hmm. or twenty dollars gicle prints you know stuff like that and so it's it's a lot it's, it's just a nice balance for me to be able to make that work. That's my real like passion work. But then I can also just draw something that's pretty and feel confident that it's like designed well, it's composed well, and that it it's going to make people smile. It's going to make people happy. And it's, you know, going to these craft fairs and stuff, it's also, it's a super thrill. Although yeah. it is like a little bit commercial, more commercial, it's so much fun. You're constantly meeting people. You're talking about the work. You're typically talking to people who don't know something about printmaking yep. and you get to mm-hmm. describe the printmaking process to them, which is really exciting. I've been able to like market workshops that I'm teaching and stuff that way. And I have been able also to like start sneaking there are some prints that do kind of fall right in between I would say like Elizabeth Jean and Mustard Beetle mm-hmm. so they're they're like lithographs but they're not vulgar they're just like scientific illustration <laughs> or something so they fall right in there so it's like I can really market them either way so that's kind of like the most exciting point for me like I have a couple lithographs that I do have in the craft booth and then people are like what are these oh why are they why is it the addition size less? Like everything else is addition at a hundred. These are additioned at 30. You know, why are they more expensive even though they're only black? And then I can describe to you like, okay, so you take this Bavarian limestone (laughs) and nitric acid. And they're like, what? They're like, like, are you just, did you just start speaking another language? Like, yeah. (laughs) They're like screen printing. I was kind of with you on that, but this, I don't know what you're talking about. So, so yeah, it's exciting and it's, it's liberating and it also allows me to, to make more work faster, to like work smarter, not necessarily harder, even Mm -hmm. though obviously I'm, I'm like working literally from the moment I wake up until the moment I go to bed pretty much every day. (laughs) Cheers. Yeah. (laughs) It's what I love obviously, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good 
balance that I love. And lately, unfortunately, I haven't been making a ton of lithography work. And that's primarily because since I just recently, like two or two and a half months ago, left my full-time job and am now really trying to push Mustard Beetle, you know, we've done consignment, we've sold in stores, but we haven't really gotten like a whole wholesale platform going. And so we're currently working on that. I'm working on getting everything actually off of Etsy finally onto its own online store um, and all this sort of stuff. So it's just, it's just really kind of taking shape and really starting to become the small business that I want it to. Mm -hmm. Ideally, the thing that I've always dreamt about is like one day having a location where we can have a little storefront yeah. and we can sell prints. And then in the back, there's like a whole printmaking studio um, where I can like I can make the work, both the mustard beetle work and my own fine art, because um, by then, you know, obviously it would be sustaining it. I would have the facilities, but we can also like teach workshops in the space. We can people can pay to come use the space like a community print shop facility. And so there's a lot of different like angles, again, to come at this like side hustle from because I like the idea of being able to like mash all this stuff together since I, I really cannot stand the idea of working in like a nine to five or an eight to five type type situation and so it's easier for me to be like okay I sold like this here this here I'm doing like this custom illustration work or this custom printing and just like making it all come together yeah and so what was that decision like for you you were working at Gemini most recently so it's not even like you were right. totally outside of the print world you know you weren't just doing so it's not like you yeah. were doing something that was totally unrelated but you at one point you must have been like okay I just want to do Elizabeth Jean like I, I feel like I'm in the place where I can do that and where I want to do that um, and I'd love to hear about kind of what that journey was like because I think it's something that a lot of people want to make but do have a lot right. of anxiety about Right. And it, and it was hard. Like I always knew that this kind of would be the case. The, the ideal goal in life for me would be to have mustard beetle financially be able to sustain myself and my husband. And then I can like make my fine art. And especially if we're starting to do more wholesale and stuff like that, I, I don't want this to sound like wrong or like I'm trying to work less hard because it's always <laughs> really hard in everything that you do. And especially as you continue to grow, there's like new challenges that you'll face. But if, if we start to do like more wholesale and things like that, it does start to become in a sense, like more passive income, quote unquote, you're still yeah. designing and you're still printing and everything. But the money is coming in from all these, again, like these different sources, these different avenues. And so then you can start to open up to be able to focus maybe a little bit more on, on my lithography work and hopefully get that into more galleries. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I was working. I while I was at the University of Wisconsin-Madison for three years for the MFA program, I was assisting master printing at Tandem Press, which was my favorite job of all time mm -hmm. that I work. And if anyone out there is considering going to graduate school, and if you like the idea of working with big name artists, um, Tandem is just so amazing. For me in particular, Judy Pfaff was like my favorite artist, um, especially, you know, throughout undergrad. And I was thinking about, you know, collaging all these different things together and like this botanical work. And so Judy Pfaff was like it for me and Tandem Press prints like all of Judy Pfaff's print work. Mm -hmm. They frame it in house. 
the facilities themselves are absolutely gorgeous. There's like, there's multiple presses. It's like this old train station. So there's like the railroad right there. There's exposed brick on one wall. There's like mm. high ceilings. This one of, I think it's actually the largest press in the country. It's like 18 feet long, um, which is incredible. why we can print Judy's massive work on it. Um, so yeah, for me, that was an amazing kind of jumping off point where not only was I getting to work directly with these wonderful artists, but I'm putting things in my tool belt. Um, because Tandem is, I, I would say that they're like probably the, the third largest printmaking studio in the country. I, I guess it would be like Gemini, Crown Point, um, Tandem, and then Tamarind would be right, right. there as well. Mm-hmm. But then they're also a school, so they have a whole other thing. But, um, you know... I think I think the nice thing about something like that is that I guess it, it was very intimate where the artists are actually coming there and they're like in the space. Judy Faf would always be like running around with like ink, like trailing behind, like all over the whole studio on the floor, be like a chaotic, lovely, amazing mess, right? Yeah. Um, such a fun environment to work in. And so, so I thought that I wanted, because I had such a great, uh, time working there, I thought, you know, I want to keep master printing. I want to keep working for artists. And so even before I moved to Los Angeles, um, I was basically lined up to, to take a lithography position at Gemini gel. And I was really excited because I thought that for me, it would, it made a lot of sense. Right. Um, but when I got here, I think it just felt a bit different where Gemini is really large. And so the artists aren't there as much actually like getting dirty and in it. Uh And, you know, I think that there have been different times, you know, in their heyday, I guess, where maybe that was more and less true. And it also depends on the artist. And so basically I just realized that I didn't really want to master print full time, at least like 40 hours a week, eight to five, um, especially master printing specifically lithographs because all day you're sponging or all day you're on roller. And it's just really, really literally backbreaking. Actually, Jim Reed, (laughs) Jim Reed, who was the lithography master printer at Gemini for decades had both of his wrists replaced. <laughs> oh my gosh. From master printing for that. I don't long. think I've ever and even so heard of a wrist replacement right? before. Like it's not even a thing I knew existed. It is for lithographers. So just beware, <laughs> oh right? So so anyway, I mean it was it was very exciting working there because we are working with these huge big name artists and and they do come in the studio and and you're you're working with them and everything. But at the same time, I just I was feeling so drained printing lithographs every single day and it was this double-edged sword of like I I love lithography and because I work here, I have access to the facilities and so I can just like work on a stone. I can just expose these plates and like work, stay after hours. But then because you're printing lithographs all day, you really don't want to stay and print lithographs mm-hmm. at night after yeah. you've been there for nine hours. And, and the thing is that I am a really hard worker and I love lithography more than anything. And so I would, I would stay, <laughs> but it would, it was so, it was so draining that 
again, with the small business thing as well, it's that double-edged sword of like, you don't have time to put into it. So then these things that these things aren't happening with it that you want to happen with it. And so it's not growing in the way that you want it to. So it's not making, it's not self-sustaining. Right. And so I knew that if I just like made this leap and like geared myself up to just be like, okay, like I wasn't financially stable at all. I had like no savings at all because I I just moved here in August to Los Angeles. And right when I moved here, I bought this 24 inch wide format printer. I bought a letterpress. I like, we built all this studio equipment. Like we're, we're not financially stable at all. We've just been like making ends meet and like chucking along. But I knew that if I just made the jump that I would make it work. And I knew that if I didn't make the jump that I was going to regret it. And so I, I did it at the, this time where, um, Gemini currently is working on these, these Tacita Dean prints that are these large, so Tacita Dean, uh, I guess two years ago did this series with Gemini that is called LA exuberance. And it's like these blue skies. They're these 30 by 30 inch square prints that are primarily like these blue blend rolls, right? They look like a sky, this like blend roll that goes from like a darker to a lighter blue. Um, And they have these little like clouds and stuff in them. And so now what they're working on is this mirroring series. That's all these sunsets called LA magic hour. And so it, it perfectly mirrors the other series where it's a series of 15 prints that are 30 by 30 that have these blend rolls. And each one is up to like, this is going to sound like not very many, but there are like four layers each maybe. But because each layer has this really intense blend roll and because they're 30 by 30, you have to use a roller that is like a diameter of like (laughs) 16 inches or 18 inches or something by like three and a half feet. And so you need, you need two people on roller to use it because it weighs like 60 pounds. Um, so it's, it was just, it was a very, very extraneous process. Um, and it's, it was really good for me. I'm really excited that I got it, got to print that way. But again, I just, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to like build up my small business. I knew that I wasn't going to be able to work on my fine art in the way that I want to. And it was, it was starting to wear me down where I wasn't feeling like passionate and excited to, to make my own stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm like printing all day, which is huge. So, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I know that all artists kind of struggle with that. And so, um, anyway, that's why I just decided, okay, now, now's the time because if I hadn't left right then, the thing is that those prints are all actually, they just had a meeting this week where all the prints just got RTP'd and um, now they're going to go into additioning. And so if I hadn't left them, <laughs> then I would have had I would have had started additioning these prints. And then it would have just been a really bad time to leave. And it wouldn't have been I wouldn't have left in a friendly manner like right. I did. Right. And so I thought for everyone involved, it would be better if I get out sooner rather than later, because I don't want to overcommit myself to all this stuff when I know in my heart that I don't want to print this series of 15 blend rolls that's going to take about two years to addition. Yeah. Yeah. That's, Um, that's super smart. And it kind of sounds like a lot of it was just like, it wasn't sort of feeding you in the way that you needed it to. 
and you are already working so much. It's just like if you can pivot that energy right into something that's yours like now is the time to do it so do it and speaking of the horizon so Mm -hmm. you've got mustard beetle you've got your own fine art practice and you've got some kind of something sort of new and exciting on the horizon with this uh, litho shop and I'm hoping you could tell the story of how that even came about because it's pretty (laughs) incredible Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. My life completely changed in the last two and a half months. And so after making that leap to leave Gemini, really focus on mustard beetle, have this part-time job that's 20 hours a week, just nine months out of the year at a university. Now I'm also teaching workshops at Josephine Press in Santa Monica. And I got connected with the Los Angeles Printmaking Society, um, Mary Sherwood, who's conducting all of the um, exhibitions for the Los Angeles Printmaking Society, and John Greco, who runs Josephine Press. Um, I believe it was Mary Sherwood who put my name in the hat for this artist who runs a printmaking studio here in Van Nuys in the Valley. His name is Pascal Gerdon, and he is a 71-year-old French printmaker. He was traditionally trained in Paris in the, like, the days of Chagall and all of these incredible people. He has all these stories. Um, he's talking about smoking cigarettes in the printmaking <laughs> studio. So stereotypically French. So... I think, again, I think it was Mary Sherwood who relayed my name to him, but he emailed me a couple months ago now and he said, hey, I have litho facilities. Um, Would you like to come print lithographs? I hear you print lithographs. And so because I work part-time during the school year and I don't have a job three months for the summer, I responded to him like, hey, when my job ends, like I'd love to come work maybe part-time or something June, July, and August. Would that sound good to come print lithos? And so we arranged a date to me. I went to his studio. I literally thought that I was going there to interview for a part-time summer job, right? (laughs) And what happened was he ends up taking me into the studio. He's showing me everything. He's showing me all of this beautiful, luscious intaglio work that he's done over the years, over the decades. Um, He does this amazing, incredibly technical photogravure work, engraving, etching. And then he has this whole litho set up, but he really doesn't use litho. He kind of acquired the equipment and now it's there. Um, But he has some clients who want to print litho works because he he is a sole proprietor. He's never hired anyone before, um, but he works contract-based. He doesn't work like like a Gemini or a Tandem or something like that where they're actually publishers and they're publishing the work. So you, if you are out there and you just like want an edition of Litho's printed or etchings printed, you can contact Pascal and hire him to print them, right? Contract-based. Yeah, yeah. And so anyway, he's showing me the whole studio, all his prints. I'm like falling in love with this old Frenchman and it's like, such an amazing, it seems like an amazing place, an amazing opportunity. Then he brings me into his office and he sits me down and he says, <laughs> he says, I want to tell you like why, why you're really here. And so he tells me that he's, he's sick and he's dying and he really wants to pass this on to someone. Mm-hmm. He wants to give 
this print shop to someone so that printmaking can continue to grow and evolve and flourish in Southern California. Yeah. And so I I, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Chills, right? It's like, I... I couldn't stop crying for like a week after because sure. it was this huge roller coaster of emotion. Here I am like falling in love with him. And he's like telling me, you know, just like all of this amazing printmaking technical stuff. And I'm like, okay, this man, I'm going to get to work with him and like learn all of his technical secrets. So it's like, I'm, I'm like, I'm crying tears of joy because of this opportunity, but I'm also crying tears of sadness because of the circumstances where he has this autoimmune disease and it's killing him slowly. And the amazing thing is that because he's European and he's French, he just looks at life and death through this really beautiful yeah. lens where he, he says stuff like, you're dying the moment you're born. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, the great thing is that I, <laughs> I know, I think that, You know, especially for me and my work, I feel like I couldn't, you know, I feel like it's just really serendipitous and I couldn't have met the more perfect person for me to be interacting with now or like sharing this printmaking studio with. And on his end as well, he keeps telling me that like, I'm the one. And there's a couple other people in the hat for potentially this opportunity where Now, the next step that's going to happen is actually he's taking his sole proprietorship, making it an LLC, and adding me on as a partner. On that note, where can people find you if they want to just watch this incredible journey that you're going on and watch things build and grow? My Instagram for my personal stuff is just Elizabeth Jean Yance. So E-L-I-Z-A-B-E-T-H, normal spelling, Jean, like the pants, or like... Pascal calls me Jean. (laughs) I'm a French man now. And then Yance looks like Yance or uh, Bounce with a Y. So Elizabeth Jean Yance. Um, My Instagram, my website is also just www.elizabethjeanyance.com. Mustard Beetle, same same kind of thing. It's just Mustard Beetle is the Instagram, and the website is www.mustardbeetle.com. Um, on both of those, they're kind of linked to each other in a sense as well. Like if you go on elizabethgeniance.com, you can see illustration work, which will then link you to Mustard Beetle. Um, there are again, yeah, two separate websites, two separate online stores, two separate Instagrams. Mm-hmm. Oh, are you there? Hello. Well, that's our show for this week. Join me again in two weeks' time when my guest will be Gregory Santos, founder of Mixgrid, a stone lithography print trade that's all done by mail. Gregory ships stones throughout the United States, inviting printmakers to do a drawing on them. He prints them at his studio in Denver, and then the artists exchange the prints. So join me then when we talk about building a lithography community remotely and Wait a minute. Is that right? Dude is shipping lithography stones through the mail? I'll see you in two weeks.